Good morning, Grace. Hey, I want you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 2, and then we're going to eventually get over to uh, some parts of Genesis this morning. And so uh, James chapter 2 is where we're going to start, but it is so good to have you here. Now, how many of you have ever coached youth sports at all? Just raise your hand. If you've ever coached youth sports, oh man, you're my people. Yes. Got a bunch of coaches in the house. I love it. Okay. So here's the deal, man. Like when you're coaching youth sports, it's just a different animal altogether. You know what I'm saying? Like just kids are kids. And I, I've, uh, I've coached uh, football. I've coached basketball. And I'll just use basketball as an example. You know, your first day of practice, let's just say, because I've coached uh, like uh, six and, and seven-year-olds, and that's, uh, it's like literally trying to coach cats. Like, they're never going to listen to you. And, and here's the, the biggest problem with a, a, a seven-year-old uh, just learning to play the game uh, kid that shows up in the gym is that he has done one thing in preparation for practice, and it's nothing that you assign to him. If, he, if he's going to show up to basketball practice, he's watched the NBA. And he's convinced, every seven-year-old that shows up for basketball practice the first time is convinced that they are Steph Curry. And so here's the thing, all they're interested when it comes to sports is, you know, those those crazy behind-the-back things and and just launching the ball from half court. And and they're seven, like you launch it from half court, and like right in front of them. But they're all convinced they're Steph Curry. You know what they're not ready for? They're not ready for the fundamentals because that's boring. How many times, coaches, have you been running drills and players complain about how boring this is? Can we get to the fun stuff? Can we get to the fun stuff? Well, here's the thing. I actually think that what we've been talking about in this series is almost that same thing. A lot of times we start this journey with Jesus Christ and we're fired up and we should be because we're not who we used to be. Like immediately he's changed us, but we're like, man, I'm ready to start launching the, the half court shots. Man, I'm ready to go in big. I'm ready to see the miracles. I'm ready for all this stuff. And, and we're more excited about the, the flash, but guys, we can't skip the fundamentals. You know what I wish they would do? I wish they would show the thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours of Steph Curry practicing the fundamentals to become Steph Curry. Here's the deal. If we get the fundamentals wrong, we never get to the, let's get to the flash and the dazzle and all that sort of thing. We've got to get the basics right. And this whole series, as we come to a close, this is the last message in the series, has been about let's get it right. Like when we say that we have faith in Christ, when we say that we're saved, what does that mean? I don't, I don't want it to be like this easy believism, like, yeah, I'm a Christian, and then like, there, I, I can just do whatever I want to do. That's not, like, it's not even scriptural. How in the world would I claim something that's not, I don't want to claim something that's not true. And so we've been talking about the basics. Let's get the basics right before, as we go into this next series, we start putting the frame up on the house. Get the basics right. So we've been talking about this whole thing of faith. What is faith? What is saving faith? We've also looked at, you know, what's, what's a faith that you can't put trust in? You know, Paul in, in Romans 3, he makes it very clear uh, that there's a saving faith. 
He uses Abraham as an example in Romans 4 to tell us that we are justified by faith in Christ alone. But then James, we go over to James chapter 2, and, and like we looked at last week, he, he says, so we see that, and he uses, he uses the same guy, same dude, Abraham as an example. So we see that we're not justified by faith alone, but by works also. Like, whoa, man, can you boys get on the same page? What's going on here? But they're actually talking about two sides of the coin, and we introduced that concept last week. And, and what James said is there's, there's a living faith, there's a real faith, but then there's something, he just calls it a demon's faith. And, and really, he, he just says, like, like for us to say, well, I, you know, I, I, believe, I believe in God. He's like, well, good for you. Even demons believe that. They even actually fear God. And so he, he's like, that faith alone is not living faith. And so when he talks about justification, and Paul talks about justification, they're using two different parts of this. So when Paul talks about justification, I want to make sure we, I just keep drilling down on this, because I figure if I say it enough, I get tired of saying it, we're probably starting to hear it. So the whole point of justification, big word, just simply means, it's when God declares a guilty sinner to be righteous, even though both he and us, we know that we're guilty. And like, it doesn't happen through our works. It happens through what Christ did on the cross. He became our punishment. We've already looked at that. I'm not gonna re-preach that, but, but this is what he's talking about. Now, when James is talking about justification, it's another definition of the word. And so let me explain this. So it's uh, today the, the playoffs. Uh, any 49er fans in the house? Any 49er fans? glad you're here. Anyway, uh, <laughs> here, here's the deal. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of rooting for the Detroit Lions because, <laughs> and the only reason is because what everybody else said, like, you know, I'm just, I'm hoping they, like, sign Barry Sanders to one day, uh, you know, a contract. He gets to run us and beat the Super Bowl one time. I just want Barry Sanders. But anyway, here's my thing. I, you know, honestly, if you're a 49ers fan, like me saying that, I just gave Lions a kiss of death. Whoever I root for loses, so you should be very happy with that. But okay, but here's my point. Let's just say playoffs, everybody starts talking about the best ever. Let's just say somebody uh, makes a statement, Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback ever. Well, here's my deal. I don't believe that. Like, you can believe that. I don't. And and so what I would say, and I've always said this, somebody brings up a statement, we say, oh yeah, prove it. When James is using the word justify, He's not using it in the same way that Paul is using because honestly, Paul and James, like we talked about last week, they're on the same page. They believe the same thing. If you read other things, they've read, they, they're on the same page. He's just saying that there's an essence, that there's a part of justification in which we justify our life actually proves, if you will, that our faith is true. Does that make sense? So, so literally what takes place when we are saved, we're transformed. The Holy Spirit, man, he transforms us. I love 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, what, what we read in uh, chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Like literally, boom. The old has gone, the new has come. What, what's the old that is gone? Well, our old standing, who we were. We, we were a sinner. We've been given a new title. 
We're a child of God. We're a saint. The Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit begins to transform us, change us. 2 Corinthians 3.17, we are being uh, transformed from one degree of glory to another uh, into the image of Christ. This is the work of the Lord who is spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that does this. And what happens is, is he begins to transform us so much that there is, there is actually a difference to this where our life isn't, we don't do good works to prove to God that we're worthy of saving or do, we don't do good works to prove to ourselves that we're saved. But there's this, there's a sense that James is talking about where if we are saved, there will be an undeniable change in who we are that ultimately results in these works. So, but it's not from a motivation of let me, let me earn this. It's in a, it, it comes from a totally different motivation. We're going to look at that motivation and kind of close to break down what that means. And so as we jump into James, James is, you know, this is the second part. If, you're, if you missed my message last week, man, go to, uh, go to YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Idaho Grace. Watch that message because this is kind of the second part of this. We pick up our reading in James 2, verse 21, and here's, here's what we read. He's, used, he's coming back, making his point. He's going to use Abraham as an example, and we're going to do a deep dive into this. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. In essence, he's saying what I talked about early on in this series. Like, faith is more than just being up here. It's not just about knowing something. I use the example of when I went skydiving. It's just not uh, just knowing that there's such a thing as parachute. And if you jump out the parachute, you know, you can land safely. You got to be convinced of it, uh, you know. And, and so, like, I was convinced that the person who packed my parachute knew what they were doing. But the reality is faith is finished, not just when it's here and here. It doesn't stop there. Faith is finished. That's what James is saying when you jump out of the plane. And, and he's making this point from Abraham's life. His faith was active along with his works. Actually, it was completed by his works. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's in Genesis 15. He was called a friend of God. And then he references another, uh, no, he says in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, and he, he used an example from, from Joshua about Rahab the prostitute, how she was justified. But then he closes by saying this in verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is, is dead. And so I wanna make sure that we grasp this as we're, we're getting this today. There, there's a, there, there are two sides of justification that we gotta grasp. There is a, uh, and I'll just make this my big point if you're taking notes, and, and then we'll, we'll break this down. Justification has to be understood at a vertical level and at a horizontal level, okay? Justification has to be understood at a vertical level and at a horizontal level. We have to know how to be right with God. We've got to get the fundamentals right. We've got to make sure that, that we don't just have a faith. Because listen, just because you have faith doesn't mean you have the right faith. I literally had somebody share with me something and I had to, I had to challenge them on it. They believed something and they believed something was absolutely wrong. It wasn't even scriptural. We, we went to the word of God and, and talked through that. The, the, the faith that you have, it's not just that you have faith that matters. It's the object of your faith that matters. 
So we gotta understand the vertical part, but there's a horizontal aspect to this. And so I'm gonna, my, my first point, there's three takeaways we're gonna get. The first takeaway, I have said this in every message and I'm just saying this to make sure we get it, okay? We are justified in this vertical sense. We are justified by God through faith in Christ's work. It is God's work. And man, you can go this week, uh, man, go, go, to, uh, go to Genesis chapter 15. Uh, in fact, if, you've, if you don't have a study Bible, buy a study Bible. It's like, you can buy, you can buy, in fact, you can go to different places, Amazon, you can go to christianbook.com, you can find good deals. It is worth the investment to, make, to just understand what do some of these things mean. It'll help you break some of this down. I would say grab, grab a study Bible and, and work your way through Genesis 15. What is going on here? Because God was, was promising Abraham that, man, your reward is gonna be very great. In Genesis chapter 12, he called him out of paganism. Like he followed God, didn't even know where he was going. God, God says, man, your reward's gonna be great. And, and at the beginning of Genesis 15, in essence, Abraham's like, well, that's kind of a, in other words, a waste because I don't have any child. So I don't, even if you bless me, I'm gonna pass it on to actually a servant in my household. I don't have a child. And so as, as, as part of this, God says to him, you, you're not gonna have to do that. I'm gonna give you a son He's gonna be your heir and actually from you uh, is gonna be a family tree that's gonna be so, so wide, so extensive. It's, it's, gonna, it's gonna be like you trying to count the stars, you just can't do it. That's gonna be your family that's gonna come through. Your son, he made them this promise. And, and what we read in Genesis 15, six, it says that he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. Real quick, who counted it to him as righteousness? It was God. It wasn't just like Abraham counted it to himself. No, what, what God did, I like how Steve Lawson put it. He said, Genesis 15 is when God transferred his own perfect righteousness into the morally bankrupt account of Abraham. And that's literally what God does for all of us when he justifies us. It's God declaring us to be something that we're, we're not. This is where the vertical part of this happened. In fact, I'm going to do something, and I, I haven't. I did this in the first service, and I think it worked. If it doesn't work, it's on. It's not on the tech team. It's on me. I asked them to see if they could help me do this. So I'm gonna. I'm, I'm a whiteboard type of guy. Like I'm a visual thinker and process. And so like I draw stuff out like when I'm trying to work through things. So we're, I'm going to do this with you today. So I'm going to draw. Let me just take this line here. This this right here. That's supposed to be an arrow. Um, Actually, let's do this. I'm gonna draw a horizontal line. I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain all of this here in just a minute. Okay, so. Okay, so this, this vertical aspect, I'm gonna write a J there. That J, for sake of, if you're uh, tracking with me, that stands for justification, okay? It's God, it's God who justifies, all right? We, we don't do this, God, God does this. This right here, this line here at the bottom, that's a T, that stands for time, all right? That's just time. And so this intersection here of this is years lived, this right here, I don't know when it is for you, when it was, uh, you know, we, it's all at different times, but this is the point where we trusted in what Christ did instead of thinking that it was us that's earning our salvation. Make sense? It was at that moment, first of all, that God said, yeah, you're righteous. In fact, what he did right here, this at the top, this R, that stands for righteousness. This is a perfect righteousness, a standard 
honestly, that you can't keep, that I can't keep. Anybody here ever been able to perfectly keep that righteous standard? If so, you're at the wrong church or don't mess you up. Like, you need to leave. Like, no, no, like this perfect standard. But, but here's what God does. When he justifies us, he calls us saints. And what happens is this thing that Steve Lawson, that example, it's, it's where God gives us a righteousness that actually comes from Christ. It's not our righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness because we believe it, that, that Christ took our place on the cross, that, that we can't be saved except by believing on him. We can't earn this. And, and so we now are living like from now on, this is us in the eyes of heaven. We're righteous. You're like, but I'm not. Yeah, I get that. Like in a practical living this out, you're not. But in the sense of being called righteous, we're called righteous. Now, the reality is this though. We're going to continue to grow. And, and, and so what, what's gonna happen, we're gonna talk more about this there's gonna be some growth that we're gonna see. And so I'm gonna come back to this here in just a moment. But I just wanna show you that starting off right here is what I'm talking about, my first point. This is what I'm, what I'm talking about when I say that we are justified by God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's this vertical component. However, the second point that I wanna take you to, and we're gonna go away from the graph just for a second, is this. This faith, this living faith, this true faith, a saving faith, this living faith will never be alone. It's, it's always, like, we, like James says, it's going to be accompanied by works. It's not gonna stay internal. Faith is not gonna be an internal thing. Faith is going to change the way we live. It's gonna change the, the external part of us, okay? So uh, let, me, let me find an, an illustration because I wanna take a deep dive into... Uh, this, Abraham's life. Uh, so how many of you, you said the coach, how many of you have coached football? You've coached youth football, okay? So, so a lot of you have coached youth football. Um, <laughs> several years ago, I coached my son, his flag football team. That was great, man. Uh, like, it was like eight, nine-year-old kids. And dude, seriously, coaching eight, nine-year-old kids like coaching cats, uh, you, like, you know, they just, they're gonna do what, what they're going to do. Well, we were having one practice and we were practicing out here in the front. And, um, and finally, dude, like one kid was just, you know, wouldn't listen to anything we were doing. And I finally thought, maybe I need a little positive incentive. And I said, okay, guys, you gotta focus. I said, but if we can run these plays to perfection, if we can have a good practice, I'm buying you guys ice cream. All of a sudden, this one kid that was the craziest kid of them all was like. <laughs> and he's like, ice cream? We can get ice cream? I'm like, yeah, you run the play. You do everything you need to do. You can get ice cream. Are you serious? Guys, we can get ice cream. We can get ice cream. Like, like the rest of the night, I mean, the rest of practice, he was just like, hey, coach, now, are you sure we're going to get ice cream? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I said, but we got to get through the practice. You got to do what you got to do. And so like every time we're in the huddle, we're, I said, hey guys, here's how we're going to run the play. He's like, come on guys, get it together. We got to do this. We're going to get ice cream. And so like we'd, we'd be there and, and I get down and he's like, coach, how are we doing? How are we doing? How's it looking? We going to get ice cream? I'm like, dude, yes. And so like at the end, I, I probably like, I, I know that I, it was a terrible coaching move because they did a good job. The next, next time we came back with like gift certificates to McDonald's or whatever it was for ice cream cone, whatever we did. Well, dude, from then on, 
just, he would ever, he show up for the game or practice, like, hey, tonight we're gonna get ice cream? We're gonna get ice cream? Finally, like in the third game, he had asked me for the 49th time, do we get ice cream? I'm like, enough about the ice cream. Play the game. He's like, all right. <laughs> but still, are we gonna get ice cream? I'm like, ah! No, he had this, this, this thing that he, he was anticipating that he, he was like, man, that, that motivated him more than anything. Man, it was what was ahead of him. He would endure what he didn't want to do. He didn't want to be at practice. There were times I'm not sure he wanted to be at the game, but he wanted ice cream. And so, you know, life is going to be great if I got ice cream. We laughed at that kid, but we all have that thing. We all have that thing that, that motivates us, that even when life doesn't make sense or life is painful, we're going through seasons we don't understand. We're like, yeah, but there's ice cream. Yeah, there's whatever that thing happens to be. Now, I want you to think about this. When, when God had this interaction with Abraham and he tells Abraham that I'm gonna give you a son, all of a sudden, Abraham had his ice cream. He had his incentive. At first, he did, it was hard for him to believe. He, he struggled with this. And, and yet, God said, no, you're going to have this. So we, we see the promise coming in Genesis 15. We see Genesis 16. What does Abraham do? It's not happening fast enough. And so, so he and his wife come up with a plan for him to try to force God's hand and make this happen. We're gonna make it happen. And, and they screw it all, all, all to pieces. It was the wrong thing. But then you get to Genesis 17, Abraham hears from God again, but this time he's up in years. We're not talking about he's in his 30s. Like scripture reveals that this, the second time that he comes and renews the promise, he's in his 90s. That's why it's a miracle. And so we have G Genesis 17, Abraham hears from God. He laughs with himself like, yeah, this, it's not gonna happen. Like I tried to make it happen. It didn't happen. Now it's definitely not happening. Sarah in Genesis 18, she hears this and, and she's like, she, she laughs out loud. She gets, she gets called out. She's it's like, did you laugh? Like, no, I didn't laugh. And so like, you read it, it's right there. The, the whole point was, was this. God says, is anything too impossible for God? And we finally get to Genesis 21 where it happens. And Isaac is born. And I, it's, it's, it's like a kid getting ice cream. Now Abraham has ice cream. This is what I've longed for. Now life is perfect. I've lived all the years. Now God has blessed me. What could go wrong? And yet for those of us that we've lived life, we know that just because you achieve that goal or Maybe you get what you've longed for. It doesn't mean that you're not gonna be tested and that's exactly what takes place is Abraham's tested. In fact, in Genesis 22, verse one, it says that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, Abraham answered, said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Real quick, um, Abraham was right with God, remember? His faith was counted to him as righteousness. It's at that, that, that the graph, graph. Like he might not, there are times he's not practically there, but he was declared righteous. So the, the, this test is, it has nothing to do with him not being righteous. It's that his faith is getting ready to be proven. 
His faith is going to be proven. I'm sure this isn't the only test in in Abraham's life, just like whatever you're going through right now isn't the only test you're gonna face. But God doesn't tempt, he does test. And in his test, he doesn't do something to break us. He does something to prove what he's doing in our life and prove something to us. It's actually, every test is a means to assurance. And so he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac. And and let's just put ourselves in the story. I don't know what it is that's the biggest thing for you. What's the thing that you can't bear to think of God asking for? Put yourself in the story. I don't know what that is for you. Your job, kid. uh, I don't don't know what it is. Health. Put, Put that in there. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. He's saying, I want you to offer that to me. Will you let me have it? Look how Abraham responded. Verse three, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then he said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. He said, here I am, my son. And, I mean, Isaac asked, he's a pretty insightful kid. He asked a pretty good question. Okay, I see where we're going to get the fire, the wood. Where's the lamb for the offering? Look what Abraham says. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they kept walking, both, they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, which that had to be a weird thing, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Verse 10, man, it's hard to even read this, guys. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. I'm gonna hit pause. Right now you're like, man, somebody needs to turn this guy into CPS. What's going on? But I I want you to to catch what is taking place here. God had made Abraham a promise in Genesis 15. I'm giving you a son. You're gonna, like from the son, you're gonna have an heir. You're gonna have somebody that after you die, you're gonna pass on your reward to. Not only that, from your son is gonna come a great nation. And you mean, you can read the the incredible promises of, of Genesis 15. And then years later, God's saying, I want your son. The son that I gave you, your child of promise, I want this. What's Abraham do? There there were a few things I wrote down this week as I was studying through this that Abraham did that I think were very significant. Number one, he cut the wood. He went to where God told him to go. (laughs) Verse five, I love this. He told his servants, we're coming back. He believed God would show up, but he came to a point of surrender when he put his son on the altar. Every parent here, just, you get a cold chill when you think about this. I'm just, I'm thinking about this as a dad. I love my kids more than I, my family, that's, that's, that's who I love most. He puts his son on the altar, and when he put his son on the altar, 
He has a knife in his hand, he lifts it up. What happened there was not anything that could be seen in terms of an, uh, I mean, obviously he's placing there, but what God saw was an action. It was, it was ultimately Abraham surrendering. He got to a point of surrender. It wasn't just faith that was here. It wasn't just faith that was there. It's a faith that's, that's expressed externally. And the only way that he got to faith is the only way that you're gonna find it in your test. When your faith is put to the test, when it's the proving of your faith. And, and guys, listen to me. Those times are going to come. Your faith will be proven. We have to stop living thinking that we're going to get eternal life and the blessings of heaven here. We catch glimpses of heaven here. Do we get blessings? Yes, but we will be tested here. How did he get to this place? Here's, here's what Abraham did. He trusted God's integrity and he trusted God's ability. He trusted in what God had promised him so much so that he told, he told the young man, he's like, we're coming back. In fact, I like how Hebrews describes this. It says, by faith, Abraham, this is in chapter 11, verse 17, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And here's why he did what he did. He considered that God was, even, was able even to raise him from the dead. What he knew was that God was so good and God was so great and that the promises of God were so trustworthy that even if he follows through in this, that whatever's gonna happen is not the end of the story. God's bringing him back because this is the promised child. What God promised is gonna happen. He lived it so much so that he was able to get to a point of, of of surrender. In, in, in uh, Genesis 15, 6, when it says that Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness, that, that, that Hebrew word that's translated believe is a word that, that literally, if you can take the full meaning, it means to put your whole weight on. It's, it's like when, when there, there were times when my kids were little, we have a two-story house, they would, they would be coming down the stairs and they would see me come around the corner and they literally would launch themselves at me because they believed I was going to catch them. They, they, they had such, con they had honestly more belief than I had. There were times I'm like, hey, 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 hey. But no, they, they, they had such belief that they were gonna be caught that they were able to jump. This is what's going on here. This is what faith is. It's not this faith that, yeah, I, you know, I, yeah, I believe that, that, that Jesus is God's son. Yeah, I, I, I believe. Like, it's not this fake, dead, demon's belief. It's a real, active belief that, that actually works itself out. This is what James is making sure that we understand. Abraham was so convinced of God's goodness, his promises, his abilities, that he didn't even hesitate to take this journey. He knew God had to show up. So he lived out of his vertical faith and that living out of the vertical faith showed up in a horizontal way. And I love the rest of the story. The angel of the Lord called to him, said, Abraham, Abraham, he says, here I am. That's, that's what he says a lot. He said, don't lay your hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 
Abraham looks up, there's a ram that's caught there in the thicket. He knew what he was saying when he told Isaac, God will provide himself a lamb. He offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it's said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And then God, through the angel of the Lord, called to Abraham a second time. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. He emphasizes that. I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Verse 19, so Abraham returned to his young men and he had Isaac with him and they arose and went together toward to Beersheba. Here was the deal. God allowed him to be tested Abraham's response was to trust and obey. God's response was twofold. I'll provide what you need. I will honor your faith and the rest is history. There's a reason why James uses this story to make his point. This faith, we're justified by faith in Christ's work alone, is a faith that will never be alone. And the last thing that I want us to understand is this. These good works, this action of faith that we see in this illustration of Abraham is actually, in, it, it's, it's, it looks different in your life and mine, but in the test, this faithful response that's not, oh God, let me show you, let me, let me work really hard and show you how good I am. No, it's just you believing that God is trustworthy and so you act in response to that, those good works justify our faith and give assurance. And the reality is this. There are times that a lot of people who take on the name of Christ don't have assurance of salvation. And what I mean by that, we, we just don't feel at times like we're a Christian. Now, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm your pastor. There are days I wake up and I don't feel like I'm a Christian. This morning, I got, I don't know what happened. I, I went to bed early last night, but I, I woke up at 3.45 this morning. I, I'm gonna tell you right now, I did not feel like a Christian at 3.45 this morning. Like, Felt a little more like a Christian after I got some coffee. But anyway, that's another story. I, the, the point is this, like assurance of faith, you can't get assurance of faith from your feelings. Because your feelings are going to lie at times. I'm, I'm thankful for feelings. Feelings are a blessing in many times, but uh, many times. But there are also times that, that feelings lie to us. Where, where, where do we find where do we find our assurance? We find our assurance in the object for faith, what He's promised. And have I have I have I submitted to what He's promised? And then it's just it's it's me just living in response to what, what he's done. Let me, let, me go back to, let me go back to this, this graph. So I, I told you this, this line here, I, I'm gonna call this, this line here, I'll call this knowledge. We're growing in knowledge, okay? But when it comes to us living, honestly, we, we, we operate under knowledge. Now, the, this, this last line here, I'm gonna call this the day of Christ. This is when Jesus is coming back. And here's the thing. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. When? At the day of Christ, when Jesus comes back. 
Until, here's a, here's a nice thing. At the, on the day of Christ, we can finally be in practice what we've, also, we've already been called. God has called us something righteous that we're really not practically. It's not gonna happen until Jesus comes back. However, we're going to grow. Now we're gonna grow in knowledge, what it means and what he's asking of us. And, and as we understand what, what the promises of God are, we get used to him speaking as he's speaking to us. We're gonna respond. Now the reality is, are we going to always respond perfectly? No. There are gonna be times we're gonna screw up. Here's what I wanna tell you, and we're gonna get into this, this graph at some point, we'll come back in the next series. Grace though, there's a G here in the middle, that stands for grace. Grace covers the gap between our, the P stands for practice, our practice of what we know. There are times that our, our, our practice doesn't measure. We're saved by grace, we're justified by grace. Listen, we, we have to live by grace. That's why we, we, we live not out of the basis of my performance. I live out of the basis of the reality that God has called me righteous, even though he and I both know I'm not. But I, I've been saved. I'm trusting in Christ's work. And what happens now, though, is I live not by my works like, oh, I got to show God and, and I got to show him that I mean this. No. We, we live out of our identity. We live out of the fact that I'm free. We live out of the fact that I've been called something. I know I'm not, it's not fair. Like it's not fair that I should be given something this good, but yet it's amazing. And so we live out of this, which means we live a life of gratitude. Like we're, we're motivated not by, man, I gotta, I gotta prove this to God. No, we live motivated. We live motivated by God. We, we get that he loves us this much. We get that, that what he did, he did for, for us, not because we were that good, but just because man, he had favor on us. We, all of a sudden it changes. We, we begin to actually live what we sang this morning. It's like that, that, that new song said, we'll magnify you, we'll exalt you, but it's gonna come from a heart of thanksgiving. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for this. And so I live out of this. Like th there are some interesting parallels between the life of, I mean, between the example of Abraham and, and Isaac. And think about this, God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. I didn't even think about this till this week. They both walked up a mountain. Both of them walked up there to sacrifice a son. But here was the difference. Abraham walked up and God was testing his faith. When Jesus walked up the hill to Mount Calvary and he became the sacrifice for us, his sacrifice became the means of our faith. And there's something powerful when we understand that this status that we've been given, I'm justified, not because I was that good, but man, because God's love was so great. Right. That, that, listen, God doesn't just love you, he likes you. Can you get that? Like some of you are like, yeah, yeah, he has to love me because he's God. No, what does it say? His faith was come to his righteousness. And, and it says that Abraham was called a friend of God. We're, we're children of God. But man, isn't it cool where you can get to the level with your kids that they're not just your kids, but they're your friends? This is it. 
And so the point of the test was not, hey, I'm, you know, I'm gonna ask you to do something. Listen, there was no law that required Abraham to offer his son Isaac. So don't leave here saying, well, I gotta choose one of my kids to give up. Some of you are like, I know which kid it's gonna be too. I, that's not at all why you're supposed to do. No, this, this whole thing was, was him asking like, do you trust me? But ultimately, do you love me? What God wants from you and I is not our morality. What God wants from you and I is not sinless perfection. What God wants from you and I is first of all, our love, and second of all, our faith. Because out of our love, and because of, out of a faith motivated by love, will live a life pleasing, not made possible by anything else than that perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ that took place on the mountain so that you and I could know what it means to not have to work and strive, but to live out of the freedom and the great relief of knowing that we've already been called something we're not and that the Holy Spirit is making us into what he's already called us. Next week, we're gonna break this down. In fact, we're gonna start a new series that is for people that are tired of screwing up. So like, if you're perfect, don't show up. Like, if you're gonna hate the next series. If you have screwed up and you're like, I am tired of screwing up, show up because there is some good news for failures. And we're gonna be looking at that over the next few weeks. Father, thank you so much for the powerful work that you've done through Jesus Christ. Thank you that this thing that we just have messed up, we think we somehow have to prove ourselves to you so that you'll save us, or we gotta keep proving ourselves to you so that you'll keep us. It's not that at all. It's actually something more beautiful. First of all, we're saved through your divine favor. Sometimes when we're not even looking for it, all of a sudden you break in, we realize who we are. We trust in Christ and you save us. But God, then on the other part, what, what you do is you even give us the Holy Spirit. You give us a catalyst for transformation that we don't have within our own efforts and you begin to change us. And, and God, this work, it, it, it does justify the truth, but, but it's, it's not because like we're, we're doing this ourselves to prove something. It's, what's, it's coming out of, it's the overflow of a transformed life. And God, just thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your grace that you give us not only on the day that we're justified, but God, the daily grace that you give us, we need it. But God, thank you for the tangible change that we can see. Thank you that we're, while we're not where we wanna be, God, we can give you praise that we're not who we used to be. And so God, would you continue to help us grow in our understanding of who you are? But God, may we have a faith that doesn't stop short at the head and the heart, but makes its way to its hands. Dear God, may it be justified. May it be proven through the overflow of the transformed life for what you're gonna do in and through this people. We'll thank you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Tonight, 5 p.m., next steps. We'll see you next week.